Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. We're in chapter 19 and 20 of the book of Acts. We're going to start with chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. So if you're there, I think it should be over on the, uh, the screen. So here's how it begins. But this is, a, by the way, a very controversial chapter in the Bible, as you're going to find out real quick. So Acts 19, verses 1 through 3. While Apollos, say Apollos, was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. He found there some disciples, say disciples, and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you what? When you believed. Okay, so they believed. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, well, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Hmm, that's so strange. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Here's a different translation. No, they said, we never even heard that the Holy Spirit is available. A little different slant. Another translation. No, they said, we did not know if any are receiving the Holy Spirit. So here's a question that's raised, and it's highly debatable. Here's a question. Were these disciples at Ephesus, were they Christians or disciples of John the Baptist? And either one is a possibility. That's the question. Were they actually Christians or disciples of John the Baptist? So here's some of the commentary. Well, some believe they were Christians. Luke calls them disciples, a word he commonly used for Christians. Had Luke meant to indicate that they were disciples of John only uh, and not Christ, he most likely would have said so explicitly. Paul speaks of them as already believers. Say already believers. The verb believe is used about 20 times in the book of Acts with no direct object. But in every other case, the context indicates that believing in Christ for salvation is meant. Okay, well, that's what some say. It says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The indication here is that. Well, they, they did believe in Christ for salvation. Others maintain that the Ephesian disciples were disciples of John the Baptist who were still waiting for the Messiah. After they heard about Jesus from Paul, they believed in him as the predicted Christ and were born again by the Spirit. Whatever the case, <laughs> here's what's clear. What's clear is they believed they were baptized in water, they had a hand laid on them, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's an author that I like to read. His name is John Corson. And John had this to say. So he, he takes this position. These Ephesians were disciples of John the Baptist because they had not yet heard the story of Jesus. That's his position. John's baptism was in preparation for the Messiah Jesus' baptism was in celebration of the Messiah. John's baptism was a sign of repentance. Jesus' baptism was a sign of regeneration. Now, what I have found, it depends on the commentator's 
theology on how they interpret this passage of Scripture. Generally, if the commentator is non-Pentecostal, then, well, these were John's disciples, and they, they hadn't really received uh, Jesus as, as Lord and Savior, and so this is where, where, where Paul laid hands on it, and they received Jesus for the first time. That's kind of a non-Pentecostal point of view. I have found that if you're a Pentecostal, you are saying, no, 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 they already knew Jesus. And when they come, Paul was saying, well, but have you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he laid hands on them. They baptized the Spirit, spoke in tongues. Now, my Bible is, if I can find it here. This is called the, the Life in the Spirit Bible. It's one of my favorite Bibles. And if you look at the, it's called Full Life Study Bible, Life in the Spirit. There are two men that are listed uh, at, in the editorial committee. One who's a chairman is Stanley M. Horton, and the other is William W. Menzies as the co-chairman. How many know who the first guy is? Horton, Stanley Horton. Ever heard of him? How, how many were raised in the Assemblies of God? Stanley Horton is probably the leading theologian in the Assemblies of God. How many have heard of William Menzies? William Menzies was my instructor at uh, California Theological Seminary. I dedicated my thesis, call it my uh, master's thesis to him. I also mentioned him in my doctoral dissertation. And in the book I wrote, I, I mentioned him as my mentor. Menzies and Horton are the two leading theologians in the Assemblies of God. How do you think they're going to interpret this passage? <laughs> let me give you a clue. Well, in fact, let me, let me back up. Last week, if you weren't here to hear Brian Self bring chapters 17 and 18, you missed an incredible teaching in the book of Acts. I would encourage you to find his lesson on, on the Internet and see it. If you, if you have not seen it, it was excellent presentation. So I'm going to go back now. And just segue off of what he taught in chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. So listen carefully to what is said uh, in Acts 4, 18, 24 through 28. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, say Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge, say thorough knowledge, thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. And listen, here's what he did. And he taught about Jesus accurately, though he had only known the baptism of John. Wait. He only knew the baptism of John, yet he knew scriptures. He taught about Jesus accurately. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, for he vigorously refuted Jews in public debate proving from scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Wait, but he only had John's baptism. Well, how do you think he learned about Jesus? Did, did John know who Jesus was? Well, I hope so. He baptized him. And what happened at his baptism? John saw what? The spirit coming down like a 
dove alighting on Jesus. And he hears this voice that says what? This is the son I love. I'm well pleased with him. And John knew. John was a cousin. He probably heard all his life about cousin Jesus this and cousin Jesus that. And he's the Messiah. Oh, I heard all that. But John knew about Jesus. He saw himself, God's hand upon Christ at his baptism. So don't you think that even if they were John's disciples and they only knew the baptism of John, don't you think that he probably had told them about Jesus? Because it sounds to me like Apollos, who only knew John's baptism, but he knew about Jesus, and he proved from scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So here's a commentary. At this time, Apollos' understanding of the gospel was limited. He had accepted John's baptism and believed in Jesus as a crucified and resurrected Messiah. What he had not learned was that Jesus himself was now baptizing all believers in the Holy Spirit. The Ephesian disciples were in much the same situation. Wow. So the question is, did they receive the Holy Spirit, specifically the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, here's Donald Stamps' commentary. Donald Stamps is the editor of Life in the Spirit Bible, which I like and I use. So listen to what John, I mean, what uh, Donald Stamps says. He, he says, observe the following facts concerning Paul's question. Number one. Paul's question strongly suggests that he regarded the Ephesian disciples as true converted Christians who had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. Two, Paul's question here refers to the baptism in the Holy Spirit for power and ministry, the same as that which happened at Pentecost. It cannot refer to the Spirit's indwelling presence in the believer, for Paul clearly knows that all believers have the Spirit living in them from the very moment of their belief, their conversion, and their regeneration. Now, if you want to know how this is, uh, the, the, the translation is in the Greek, it would go like this. The literal translation of Paul's question is this. Having believed, believe first, having believed... Did you receive the Holy Spirit? You get the having believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit after you believed? Here's the key. They had already believed in Christ before Paul met them. They then listened to Paul and further believed that all he told them about Christ and the Holy Spirit. Paul considered the Ephesians' belief in Christ to be genuine and adequate for he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. It was only then, after their belief in water baptism, that Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit come on them. Thus, there was an interval of time between their belief in Christ and the coming of the Spirit in all power. So note this. Paul's question here indicates he thought it was quite possible to believe in Christ. Woo! He thought it was possible to believe in Christ without being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Okay, but well, we believe that, don't we? Not everyone speaks in tongues, and yet they have the Holy Spirit. Let me take you to uh, 
what John said in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. This is a position of the assemblies of God. It may not be your position. And it, again, it depends on if your theology is one of Pentecostalism or non-Pentecostalism. But listen to what happened in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. Jesus had died. He had been buried. He was resurrected. And the disciples were hiding for fear of the Romans. They're hiding behind closed doors. On the evening of that first day, what's the first day? What day is that? Sunday, on the evening of the first day, when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And they said, ah! That's why Jesus said, peace. Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed that it wasn't apparition or a ghost. They were overjoyed that they saw it was the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And this is the key now. And with that, he breathed on them and said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. So did they receive the Holy Spirit? The same as God but says, yes, they do. Did. I believe they did. So did they speak in tongues? No. Did they receive the baptism? No. That was something that Jesus said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. The baptism of the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in an unknown tongue. By the way, I cover your prayers for September 10th. I'm going to preach the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to invite, if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in a language you have not learned, you need to be here on the 10th. Because we're going to go up these altars, and many of you, many of those in the congregation are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The spark of the Holy Spirit is going to touch our church. We pray we'll set this church on fire. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen. Set on fire, Father. Amen. So if that was the case, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. I believe they actually did receive the Holy Spirit but not the baptism of the Spirit, which came at the day of Pentecost. So Acts chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Back to the disciples. So Paul said, Well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And what did they do? They spoke in tongues and, and how many were there? Twelve. Twelve men in all. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Say normal pattern. Normal pattern. The assemblies have the theology that's called normalism. I'm going to be talking about it on the 10th. The normal way to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the normal way was to be saved Many times baptized in water and then receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. In this case, here was the process, the sequence. They believed in Jesus as they were saved. After they were baptized in water, Paul laid his hands on them. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came upon them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. This was the normal pattern, say normal pattern, for people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what the assembly of God teaches. 
It was normal, the normal pattern. You say, well, I believe I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I didn't speak in tongues. I'm not going to argue with about that. Praise God. I'm glad you, you know, whatever you receive, praise God. But you need to go further and receive that blessed language you haven't learned, the power of the Spirit of God in your heart and your life. So now Paul's in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. See, here's what happened. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke what? Boldly for how long? Three months, arguing persuasively, persuasively about what? The kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned what? So I think this is where we get the term, get out of the way. <laughs> the way was walking with Jesus. They maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussed daily in the lecture hall. He didn't fight with them. He didn't argue. He just left, took people with him. This went on for two years. What, think what happened in two years. So Pastor Gary, he's talking about, well, we as a church, we need to go out there in the community. We need to go out in the highway and byways. We need to go out into our community. We need to have something for those in need and food and, and clothing. And let's go out there and touch them and minister to them. Paul, for two years, taught. And look what happened. And for two years, so that all the, say all, all the Jews and Greeks did what? Who lived in the province, all of them did what? Heard the word of the Lord. Not all were saved, but all Greeks and Jews heard the word of the Lord. What? For two years that Paul was in Ephesus preaching? Two years? Well, he must have been powerful. You know why I think the Jews believed? Because you're going to find out just a little bit. Paul was so powerful. That certain things happen, miracles happen because of the power in his heart and life. So, that's what's next. Why did they believe? Because they heard and they saw the miracles that took place in Paul's life. I'm wondering, what would happen if we saw these miracles taking place in our life? What would happen if we saw miracles happen in our church? What if truly where God's hand is extended to heal... And people began to be healed, set free, set free from demons, set free from oppression, set free. Miracles happen. It gets around the community. It gets in our neighborhood. People are saying, something happening at Bakersfield First Assembly. The word of God will get around and that will draw them. And that's what happened in Paul's life. Here, look what happened here in Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. <laughs> God did extraordinary, say extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and what would happen? Their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them without even being cast out. Wow, that's power. They left him. They left. Another translation says this. God accomplished mighty works of no ordinary character through Paul. Sweat rags. Say sweat rags. Sweat rags and aprons which had been in contact with his body were actually taken from him and applied to those who were sick so that their diseases left them and evil spirits were expelled. So here's the commentary. Paul's ministry at Ephesus was marked by extraordinary miracles of healing and deliverance from demons accompanied directly or through handkerchiefs and aprons that had been in contact with his sweaty body. And he was a 
tent maker by, you know, so you're out in the, in the hot days and you're maybe leather work and you're working on this and you have certain, you know, things in your body. And, and they, would, they would take these sweat rags and give them to people and God would use that to touch their hearts and to heal them. Diseases disappeared and evil spirits left when the afflicted touches the cloth. Now, just a side note. Paul got no financial benefit from doing this. It was done because the power of God resided in him. His friends took these sweat rags from him, and uh, they would place them on bodies, and people were healed and set free. So anyone that tells you, if you'll just send me a thousand bucks, I'll send you a sweat rag, and, uh, and God will heal you. Well, don't believe it. He simply multiplied the empowering that was on him through these tangible means, healing and delivering more people than he could personally touch by his hands. But by the way, before I forget, I do have some sweat rags I've had in my <laughs> pocket a good part of the day. Yeah, they're, they're sweaty. And uh, I'm having a good deal, a good price on them tonight. And if you just join me in back after the church, I, uh, yeah. Budgie Bud, has some... <laughs> uh, just just a, a brief, uh, you know, advertisement here. <laughs> if you're watching by straight live stream and you don't know me, I'm not being... Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then some other things that happen. Besides the sweat rags, touching people's body, delivering from demons and the oppressed and being healed... Something else was happening in Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16. Some Jews, okay, I'm defining it, actually itinerant Jewish exorcists. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of Jesus over those who are demon-possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. I love this story. <laughs> Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish high priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered and said, what? Jesus I know. I know all about Paul. Who are you? Then the man who had evil spirits jumped on them and overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating that ran out of the house naked and afraid. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> naked and bleeding. <laughs> naked, naked. What? So what was this all about? What was this really all about? This is an interesting commentary. There were people who went around making a living by various kinds of pseudoscientific or clairvoyant powers, including the practice of exorcism. They were ready to call on the names of any and every god or divinity in their invocations. And often they recited long lists of names to be sure they included all the right gods in any particular case. Finnis Dake, in his commentary, said... In this, uh, in, the, in his commentary, he said that these exorcists were, listen, here's what they were doing. They were practicing magic, pretending by incantations to raise the dead, coerce spirits to reveal the unknown, foretell events, heal infectious diseases, counteract evil by amulets or charge, charms, interpret dreams, 
calculate the sex of children before they were born. And listen, to foretell by the planets the daily life of an individual. Stop reading your horoscope. Stop reading your horoscope. Not only that, stop consulting your astrological charts. Well, let's see now. Don't get married. If you're a Taurus, you can't marry a Pisces because they don't get along. But if you have a Gemini and you have a, what, a, a, a Capricorn, that's okay because they're, they're really compatible. Get rid of your... Don't read your horoscope. You got to trust the Lord Jesus Christ to answer your prayers. Hallelujah. Yeah, amen. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Oswaldo, is that you back there? Uh, God bless you, brother. <laughs> Here's the key. So potent and powerful was the name of Jesus in exercising of demons from those who were possessed by them. The other exorcists began to evoke that name as well. And the seven sons of Sceba were among those who used the name of Jesus to exorcise demons. So evidently they were. They were casting out demons, using all kinds of amulets and all kinds of, you know, call, call upon all kinds of gods, this God, that God, whatever God they could call upon. But they saw something. They saw that this God that Paul served, whose name was Jesus, man, when they used that name, people were set free and healed and delivered. And the seven sons of Sceva thought, well, we have all these other gods. Let's use that name. It's a powerful name. Don't use that name, except you know him as your personal Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. And here's something to happen. Acts 19. I'm going to get in your grill a little bit. Acts 19, 17, 18. When this became known, when what became known? When it became known that these seven sons of Sceva got beaten to a pulp, ripped their clothes off, ran out of the house naked, and uh, fearful for their lives. When that word got around to the community, what happened? They were all what? Seized with what? Fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed, wait, wait, no, no, no. Many of those who believed, so who, were they Christians or not Christians? They were Christians. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery. This is in the church. Those who believed. A number who practiced sorcery bought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. How much money is that? I don't know. One commentator says that 50,000 pieces of silver would have been equivalent to a yearly wage of 150 men. Uh, but his comment was they didn't hold an estate sale <laughs> or a garage scale sale or give their stuff away. What did they do? They burned it. Uh, Here's the key. In Ephesus, the church became sensitized to its sin. Say, sensitized to its sin. To such a degree that the people confessed their hidden sins to one another 
and abandoned known evils. Darkness was in retreat, and godly terror see those who had been walking in darkness, even those within the church. May I preach a little? What does it take for the church to wake up? In that case, they saw the power of Jesus. All these sons, but seven sons of Sceva, they recognized that Jesus was more powerful than any of their gods that these exorcists were calling upon. And when they heard about it, great fear, terror, no, a reverential respect for the Lord Jesus Christ came upon the church. And it caused them to take all their magical arts and books and everything they had and make a big pile. Uh, Dake says it amounted to about 32,000. I'm not sure that's right. I think it's higher than that. But great fear seized the church. So here's my question. What would it take today for the spirit's conviction to come up on the church? What would God have to do? What revelation, what power would he have to exercise that would cause us to take our magazines that we've maybe had out of the way or under the mattresses and get rid of them? Or stop reading certain novels on the family bookshelves or perhaps some television channels that would be boycotted or music that would be banned horoscopes would stop being read and recited and some people would ask others to pray that they would be set free from whatever is dragging them down and many would come to Christ for forgiveness of sin and deliverance from the eternal wrath of God hallelujah all result of the power that's in the name of Jesus and verse 20 says the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power you know why I think so because the fear of God was greater than the fear of man. The fear of God is greater than the fear of man. Wow. Father, let your word be seen in our church. Let the power of the Holy Spirit fall. Let conviction come. Let us put aside the books that we shouldn't be reading and the TV programs we shouldn't be watching and the music we shouldn't be listening to and reading our daily horoscope to find out if, if this is the day we should do this or that. We should remember that the power of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit has come. Set us free from those things. And I don't know what it's going to take, but I believe God is about to do something, not just in our church, but across. You know what? It's more than just feeling good and a positive message and the warm fuzzies. There's a time we need to get saved. Jesus, we believe that you are the Son of God, the Commander, Chief and we're going to follow you, and we're going to obey your word no matter what. When well, Acts chapter 19, well, verses 23 through 41, you can read it on your own because we don't have time to get into it tonight. And then there's the story of Eutychus. Eutychus. <laughs> this is funny. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because... He intended to leave the next day. What did he do? He kept on talking and kept on talking. And he droned on and on, just kept on talking until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into what? 
a deep sleep. And Paul talked on and on and on. And when he was sound asleep, he fell from the third story and went down there. And they thought he was dead. And Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went back upstairs. And what did he do? He broke bread. <laughs> and after talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man of alive. There's, a, there's much to share about this story. So you think, well, why did Paul just, why couldn't he just shut up? John Newton said, when weariness begins, edification ends. <laughs> when weariness begins, edification ends. But we don't have the full picture. Paul had so much to share. He could not help us speaking a long time. He had so much to share. This was his first contact with the infant church in Troas, possibly his last. With the rising of the sun, he would be gone to Jerusalem. He could not bring himself to conclude his sermon. And besides, no one was complaining, maybe except the guy that had a headache. <laughs> he could not bring himself to conclude his sermon. And besides, no one's complaining. What a, what a treat for the church of Troas to have Paul, the apostle, there. The believers hoped it would never end, but it did. Now, let me just paint another picture. At the same time, the situation was very uncomfortable. The word for lamps in verse 8 is literally torches, say torches. We can easily manage a stuffy, oppressed atmosphere in this third-story chamber. The Mediterranean heat, the grimy press of the weary crowd just returned from work. The smoke of the torches, the lack of oxygen, all made for drowsiness. And this is interesting. The word here for sleep is translated from a word in English meaning hypnosis. Finally, the stifling room and the hypnotic flickering of the flame did their work. Eutychus, Eutychus' eyes shut. He relaxed, and out he went, headlong on the pavement. And this is the first record of anyone ever falling asleep in church. Thousands followed, but no one ever had the notoriety of Eutychus. And then, oh boy, what I really want to get to is this next part. I'm not going to finish. Acts 20, 20 through 20, 22 through 24. And listen, and, and my question is going to be, what has God called you to do? As I said from the start, I don't believe you're here by accident. We have a lot of new faces. I, I made a list because there are so many new faces in our church. And I'm, I'm trying to memorize who you are. But I want to tell you tonight that you're here. Yeah, hallelujah. You're here for a reason. I don't recognize that face over there after two years, though. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> uh, you're here for a reason. And I hope that in the next few minutes I have to share that God use it to touch your heart. And now, compelled by the Spirit... I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me what's going to happen. Prison and hardships are facing me. I guess Paul didn't know the prosperity message or the name and claim it for him. I don't know. He never used that. He made the decree that it's not going to happen. I like, know. God told him he's going to suffer for his name. And he, however, I consider my, this is, listen. Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. 
If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He said, I I consider my life worth nothing. Paul's main concern was not in preserving his own life. What he counted the most was that he might finish, as Pastor Rick Smith said, finish what? Finish well. Finish strong. That should be our our command. Finish strong. I don't care how old you are. You know, I'm uh, I'm 79. I believe that uh, God called me into the ministry as a pastor teacher. I thank God God called me back. Thank God for Rick Roper and the board of directors for allowing Pastor James to bring me back. I want to finish strong. I believe God sent me for a reason, but I believe God has sent you. Chris, you're here for a reason. You're not here by accident, brother. You're not here to sit, you, you know, Soshi. Did I get that right? You're not here by accident. And some of you, uh, Noemi back there, and some, I don't even know your names yet. You're, you're not here by accident. God has sent you here for a reason. With joy and the prayer that Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So my question is, what race, I wish you had more time to discuss it, what race has God appointed for you to run? What task has the Lord given you to complete? Here's the scripture that challenged my heart. It's Jesus speaking to God the Father. It's the prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father. And here's what Jesus said. He said, now this is eternal life. Here it is. Listen listen up. Double dots. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now listen to the words of Jesus. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So we're not just talking about the church of Acts. We're believing God that we will be and are the church of Acts. Yeah, amen. Praise God. So how do we bring, how do you bring glory to the Father? I'm going to mention some names. I'll get in trouble because I can't mention all of them. I was thinking about this. Brock, where are you at, brother? Do you remember in the foyer one time I stopped you? And I said this. I said, Brock... God has raised you up for such a time as this. I don't know if you remember that. That's the truth. God has raised you up for such a time as this. Ronnie Martinez, are you here? Ronnie Martinez, what? His anointing is on your life to keep you walking on his appointed road. Ed Bowen, Ed's over here. Scott Harvey, is Scott here? I got got to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Ed Bowen, yeah, I just saw you there. You and Scott are God's chosen vessels for this hour. You are. And I'm going to say something. Amen. You're not going to like this, and you'll probably kick me after this. You guys don't know that Scott and uh, Ed 
take their time, their own time. They're tearing out the bathrooms, the women's and men's bathrooms next to the cop, tearing it out, hot days, putting new bathrooms in, not for any recognition at all. They're just doing it because they're God's appointed for this time. Ike, I don't know if Ike's here. Ike, your faith, your fortitude, your obedience and faithfulness is a blessing and a testimony to this fellowship. Hallelujah. Thank you. God's calling's on your life. Raquel, God's glory shines through you as you let your light shine for him and speak his anointed words. When you speak God's anointed word, his light is in your life and your heart. Hallelujah. You're such an important part of the body of Christ. Bill Patterson, my buddy Bill. It warms the heart of God because of your faithfulness in transporting seniors in that cart from the church so they don't have to walk on hot days to the manor. No one gives you accolades to do that. You're doing it because you're part of the body of Christ. Bill, what you're doing warms the heart of God. This is a book of Acts in action. Hallelujah. I have one more. There's a lot of you. I could just mention your names. Christina Hollis. God has given you a keen mind and a heart of understanding. He is raising you up to be a teacher of his word. You can count on that, dear sister. And many new faces. Many new faces. Hallelujah. I got to close. My hope and prayer is that all of us will finish strong. And if you're here and maybe you're visiting or maybe it's your first time here or you come, you just come. And you're on this list and I don't know your names yet. I can tell you this. God knows your names. You're not here by accident. God has a plan for your life. And God's saying, finish strong. Find out where God wants you in his body and begin to press forward and say, God, what I want to do with all my heart is to please you and finish the course that you assigned for me to walk. Hallelujah. Church in action. Oh, boy, I got another hour here. Where should I go? Uh, give me five minutes. Acts 20, 25 through 31. Now I know that none of you among you whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Uh, this is our last visit. Therefore, I declare to you today, I am innocent of the blood of all men. I have not hesitated to proclaim, say the whole will of God. Say the whole counsel of God. The complete truth of God. Keep watch over yourselves. Now, I have a little commentary here. Keep watch, what is he saying? Keep watch over yourselves. Bracket. First, make sure you're cultivating a personal devotional life. That you're a man or woman of prayer. Make sure you're the one who's engaged in consistent communion with the Lord personally. Take heed to yourself. Keeping watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that I, after I leave, savage wolves will come among you from within, from without, and will not spare the flock, even from your own members, from within. Wow, you're going to have problems from without, and you're going to have problems from within. And if you uh, have been following First John, Second, Third John, we're talking about people within the church 
who have another theology, the Gnostics, the Ocetists, who have another theology that believes that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, didn't have a body of res resurrection. And so they're leaving the church with a new theology, and they're drawing people to go out with them. There are problems from without and within. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day. If I had time, I would talk about the woke agenda. We got to beware of the woke agenda. That's even within our church. Even with those, I may, I may get thrown out of the, I don't know. They're saying that this certain lifestyle is okay now. We love the rainbow flag. You know, we love the trans, what's happening there. It's a woke generation because there's things being taught in the church, drawing people away from the truth of God's word. I better close. Declare to them the whole counsel of God. It's not, listen, it's more than the warm fuzzies and the feel-good theology. The whole counsel is, yes, faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, the blessings of God are here. Yes, he has grace and mercy. But also, God demands his children to walk in obedience to his word. There is a price to pay if you're not following God's word to walk in obedience. The whole counsel of God. Well, I could say more. I guess I better close. Um, by the way, don't forget, folks, that I do have some claws here <laughs> for just a discounted. <laughs> uh, I better stop. Acts 19 and 20. If I could leave you with one thought is this. What are you going to do? to follow God's appointment for your life, the roads he has appointed for you to travel. Even if you're new here, maybe you're not involved, but you know what? There's coming a time you will be involved. Some of you are going to be involved in helping with the youth, helping teach Sunday school, helping with our children. Some of you, like Danny here, you're going to be being greeters at the door. Some of you, like April, have such a love for the seniors that you're going and you're ministering and you're loving them, you're taking things, you're praying for them. Elders, we have incredible elders that go out and pray for people. And that list you get every Sunday has all those people listed there. They're covered by the elders. Hallelujah. Someplace in the body of Christ, God has called you. Be faithful to complete what God has called you to do. Father, love you, Lord. Thank you for these that have come. And on Wednesday night, wow, this is the cream of the crop. I thank you for these new faces. I, I have this list. I still haven't memorized it. But there's a reason the new faces are here. And there's a place you have called them of service in the body of Christ. Because we are not just talking about the church of Acts. We are the church of Acts. So we thank you, Father, for tonight. We offer you praise in Jesus' name. And all God's kids said amen. amen and amen. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. 
For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.